Welcome to another night of Warrior Reads. As always, make sure that you've handled anything before bed, that the room is dark, and that you're in a comfortable position. Remember, as you're listening, if you get excited by a story or interested, don't worry about it. Now is not the time for your mind to be racing. Now is the time for your mind to be resting. As always, we'll have copies of the recordings available on our website, as well as even the ability to order it should you want to in the morning. Now is the time for your reward for a good day lived or a reminder to be a warrior tomorrow. I'll give you about five seconds to clear your head and then we'll begin. Welcome, warriors. Tonight, our selection is from To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Tonight we will be going through a story that you probably read in the 6th grade but totally forgot about. It's a book about growing up, learning about the fallibility of the world, and having the courage to form your own path. This is the story of how a kid named Scout took the warrior path. She steps into a new world, fights the good fight, faces challenges and is forced to examine her beliefs and comes out of it with new knowledge being transformed into a new person, wiser even than most of the adults in her community. As always, you can read this book at any time in the future, and it's worth the read. But this selection serves as a great example of the real-life situations that we face as warriors, even when you're a kid. As you let go of the day, and embrace well-deserved rest for a day well-lived, you may wish to reflect on Scout's story and how it lines up with yours and can encourage you on your path. What beliefs about yourself and your society have you had to reconstruct? In what ways have you learned the perspectives of others? Let's take a dive into a different time with different ideas and see how it goes. So relax and enjoy. It's 1930, and the Great Depression continues to take its toll on the sleepy town of Maycomb, Alabama. A six-year-old girl named Scout Finch lives with her crippled brother, Jen, and their widowed father, Atticus. Though Maycomb has been hit hard by the Depression, Atticus is a prominent lawyer, and the Finch family is doing all right comparatively. A kid named Dill moves into the neighborhood to stay for the summer and Scout and Jem befriend him, and they have plenty of adventures together. Since there really isn't anything else to do in Alabama, Scout and her crew spend the summer acting out stories and harassing the neighborhood shut-in named Arthur Radley. Arthur, also known as Boo Radley, lives in his family home with his brother. The kids call him Boo Radley because they figure he must be scary-looking and eat cats because He's lived there for years without venturing from the house. They pretty much spend all summer scheming different ways to get him to come outside. One day, Scout and the gang noticed that Boo had put candy and presents in the tree outside for them. So they decide to pass a note to Boo Radley and invite him to hang out. One day, Atticus sees the kids pretending to be Boo Radley and he gets on their case about it and suggests that they try seeing things from his perspective before making judgments. 
Scout starts going to school, and she hates it. Her cousin tells her that her dad is a nigger lover, and ruining the reputation of the family. Scout didn't even know what that meant or why it was even an insult, but like a little badass, she clocks him right in the mouth for talking smack. But as it turns out, Atticus was hired to defend a man named Tom Robinson, a black man who had been accused of raping the daughter of a real shady white guy named Bob Ewell. Atticus knows that he's fighting a case that he can't win. It's 1930s Alabama, and everyone is racist as hell. But he believes that true bravery is shown when you're willing to fight the good fight, even when you know you're doomed. And he wants to set an example for his kids, especially Jim, who wants to be a lawyer like his father. Tom Robbins' trial begins, and once he's put in the local jail, the racist townsfolk form a mob outside to lynch him. Atticus faces down the mob and tries to calm them down. Meanwhile, Jim and Scout had snuck out of the house to follow Atticus and join up with him. Scout recognizes one of the men and asks him about his son, which shames him into dispersing the crowd. At the trial itself, the children sit in the colored balcony with the town's black citizens and Atticus totally cleans house and destroys Yule's claim. He discovers that it was Yule's daughter that was putting the moves on Tom in the first place. After seeing his daughter making advances on Tom, Yule chased him off and beat her for getting with him because he was black. And on top of it, he forced her to claim rape and get charges put on Tom. Yule's daughter had a bruise on the right side of her face, and Tom's left arm was injured, so he couldn't use it to give her the black eye she had. Furthermore, Yule is left-handed, so it was as plain as day. It was obvious to the court that Atticus was right, and the kids were sure that he would win. But since it's the Deep South in the 1930s, the white jurors convict Tom anyway, because racism. Tom is obviously innocent, but is sent to prison anyway, and when he tries to escape, he's shot to death. The kids are crushed by the ruling, and in one dramatic moment, they understand how tainted by evil their community is, and how even the justice system isn't reliable. Ewell is pissed that Atticus called him out in court and made him look like a fool. And on the night of Halloween, Yule gets into a drunken rage about everything and goes and finds Scout and Jim and attacks them. Yule injures Jim and breaks his arm. But just when he's about to stab Scout, Boo Radley jumps out of nowhere and stabs Yule to death and kills him. Boo carries the wounded Jim back to Atticus's house, where he speaks with Atticus and the sheriff. Atticus wants to clear Boo's name publicly and submit it as a claim of self-defense. But the local law in the neighborhood is sick of Yule constantly causing trouble. So in order to protect Boo, the sheriff insists that Yule tripped over a tree root and fell on his own knife. And Atticus goes along with it. 
They know that Boo did a good thing and would be considered a hero, but because he's such a shy recluse, all the attention from the neighborhood would be devastating for him. Atticus worried that he's setting a bad example for his kids, especially after such a botched trial. But Scout tells him that processing Boo would be like killing a mockingbird. After sitting with Scout for a while, Boo asks her to walk him home because he's scared of being outside. And so he returns into the Radley house. Scout looks back from his porch for a while, seeing what Boo's life must be like from the front window. She feels as though she can finally imagine what life is like for him, and that Boo is actually a pretty cool guy after all. And just like a mockingbird that only sings songs, Boo doesn't hurt anything. He's not like the other birds that eat crops or cause trouble. He only does good things. With this realization, Scout embraces her father's advice to practice sympathy and understanding, and decides that her experiences with hatred and prejudice won't ruin her faith in humanity. So let's take a look at this quote that pretty much sums up the entire title of the book. Atticus was old and feeble. He was nearly 50. Jim and I were disappointed that he wasn't more like the other younger fathers in Maycomb. Atticus was always too tired to play football with Jim like the other dads. He wore glasses because he was nearly blind in his left eye. When he gave us our air rifles, Atticus wouldn't teach us how to shoot. Uncle Jack taught us and explained that Atticus wasn't interested in guns. Atticus said to Jim one day, I'd rather you shoot at tin cans in the backyard, but I know you'll go after birds. Shoot all the blue jays you want, if you can hit them. But remember, it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. Later, I asked Miss Maud why Atticus said that. She said, your father's right. Mockingbirds don't do one thing but make music for us to enjoy. They don't eat up people's gardens. They don't do anything but sing their hearts out for us. That's why it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. So basically, it's a jerk move to kill a mockingbird because all they do is sing pretty songs for you. So what the author is saying is that arresting Boo Radley wouldn't do any good. It would only get rid of one more good person in the neighborhood, or at least ruin his life as a recluse. And they already screwed that up really bad by convicting Tom, so they don't want to kill another mockingbird. It's easy for us to make situations black and white want to follow the letter of the law, or want to tear it all down. Because nuance and morals are not always compatible, or easy to get to. It's a tough job sometimes, but you are a warrior, and you can handle it, and make those tough decisions. Atticus and the sheriff were both ethically bound to process Boo Radley, but they didn't. And so this whole book is for sure criticizing the society of the Depression South, as it was riddled with racism and ignorance. And when we first meet Scout, she resembles a product of her culture. 
between school, church, and the court, she was raised and influenced by institutions that would otherwise be positive forces in her life, but they were infested with backwards racists and small-minded people. But after spending time with Tom, members of the black community, and getting to know Boo, she starts to form her own opinions and sees that everyone is just trying to get by in their own way. She evolves and becomes a more open and understanding person. Besides the obvious criticism of backwards culture, one of the most important themes of the book is exploring whether people are essentially good or evil. Scout and Jem's transition from a perspective of childhood innocence, in which they assume that people are good because they've never experienced evil, and develop a more adult perspective of life, where they have to confront the evils of society. Maybe you haven't had to deal with crazed mobs of racists, or maybe you have. But at some point, when embarking on the warrior path, you come to terms with death and evil, and see the world for its imperfections, and make a choice to continue. You're still here, right? Scouts saw the cruel injustice of an innocent man, and she's forced to incorporate it into her understanding of the world. As we see Scout's transformation from innocence to experience, we are shown the threat that hatred, prejudice, and ignorance poses to innocent people. Mockingbirds like Tom Robinson and Boo Radley are not prepared for the evil they encounter, and as a result, they're destroyed. Which goes to show you that the world needs warriors like you who fight for justice and hold fast to their principles. Even Jem is victimized to an extent by discovering the evil of racism during and after the trial. His faith in justice and humanity is wrecked just like his arm. But Scout maintains her basic faith that people aren't all completely evil, despite Tom's conviction and everything else. And not everyone gets the chance to have a righteous, principled father like Atticus in their life to show them at a young age the value of holding your ground. For some, it's a journey. Even though she called Atticus disparaging racist things, Atticus had the kids read to Mrs. Du Bois, an elderly woman that was dying and struggling with a morphine addiction. After she died, Atticus saw that Jem's understanding of courage was hypermasculine and violent, and so he had some real talk with him to show that courage comes in other forms as well. And it's most needed to persevere through times of difficulty. Let's take a look. One day a month later, Atticus was called down to Mrs. Du Bois' house, and he came back carrying a box. He told us that Mrs. Du Bois had died. She said that she had been sick for a long time, and that her fits, when she would seem to be in pain and go unconscious were because she had been addicted to morphine, a painkiller. She was trying to break this addiction before she died. Most people would have just kept taking the morphine, 
so they wouldn't have to be in pain during the last months of their life. But she wanted to be free of an addiction. So when she had Jim read to her, it was meant to distract her from the pain that not taking the morphine caused. She would take the morphine later, and later every day, which is why she had to read later and later before the alarm went off. Atticus handed Jim the box he had brought back. In it was a beautiful camilla flower. Jim thought she had sent it to him to be mean, but really, she was trying to say that she forgave him. Atticus said, You know, she was really a great lady. Jim asked, How could you call her a lady after those terrible things she said about you? She was a lady. She had her own view about things a lot different than mine. Maybe. Son, I wanted you to read to her because I wanted you to learn something from her. I wanted you to see what real courage is. Instead of getting the idea that courage is only just a man with a gun in his hand. It's when you know you're licked before you begin. But you begin anyway. And you see it through, no matter what. You rarely win, but sometimes you do. Mrs. Dubois won. All 98 pounds of her. She broke her addiction to morphine. Which was a very hard thing to do. She was the bravest person I ever knew. Warriors, if there's anything you can take away from To Kill a Mockingbird, it's this. As long as you have the courage to live with sympathy and understanding, then it's possible to retain a positive outlook on the ability of people to do good, despite humanity's capacity for evil. Stay brave and keep to the path.